Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into a bunch of things in today's reviews episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? What is this? Before we get into uh, five movies, going to talk about five different movies today. Before we get into those, uh, this is officially the 300th episode of the Circle of Film podcast. Three zero zero. There have been so many, so many movies discussed, um, either through their reviews, their statistics, them featuring on lists, them showing up in awards that I made, in awards that other people have made. A lot, a lot of things have been discussed in 300 episodes. Uh, Countless hours and days and time spent uh, either listening or recording or or so on and so forth. And as I I mentioned before a few episodes back when I kind of mentioned that this was on the horizon... I don't generally make that big of a deal about these things. There's no special top 300 episode that I did or am doing. Uh, one, I don't know how I would do that because I would have needed to start doing that at like the top 100, and and I don't know. It's I don't know. It's it's a celebration. You know, I'm not a big birthday kind of person. I don't generally do much for my birthday. Uh, I don't you know like. I don't know. It's it's an arbitrary celebration. It's a milestone, uh, as it were. And as far as that's concerned, I what I did for this episode was made it a little bit bigger than it might have otherwise been by adding more movies to talk about uh, in the course of this episode. That's pretty much all I did uh, for for this one. But it is worth kind of looking back and and I think just kind of seeing how far things have come. And uh, they've come a long way, I think. You know, I I think that I've gotten better. I I don't know. I I haven't gone back and listened to some of my earlier episodes uh, since I've recorded them. So... And my equipment hasn't changed. You know, I'm still using the same microphone. I'm still, it's all going through Audacity. It's all going through the the website and everything like that. So I don't know that there's any huge difference in quality uh, as it as it used to be. I know a couple when I first started, there were a couple of episodes that I recorded on my phone, uh, which I don't remember them sounding. I mean, they're not unlistenable or anything to that degree. Uh, lately, uh, more recently, I've had a lot more guests on the show, which has been a lot of fun, and, and I've really enjoyed talking to a lot of other different people. Uh, most of them I know through Fantasy Movie League, and I'm very, very pleased to have met them and, and been able to share my love for movies with them, either whether or not that's only through the box office, as it is with a couple of people, but uh, most of them are, are huge fans of movies and, and perfectly willing to discuss Venom or the Oscars or uh, anything you know in between, because there's a gulf between Venom and the Oscars. I would hope. And uh, you know, I, I'm 
since last summer, you know, this podcast has been on an almost perfect, strict schedule. Uh, you know, a couple of days I've had to miss that for busyness and stuff and, uh, you know, and so forth. But for the most part, you know, keeping this three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, generally at noon, sometimes, you know, a little bit later if I forget or run behind. Uh, and I think my goals for the podcast are still pretty much the same as they were when I started. I would ideally love to do this more, honestly. I would love to do seven episodes a week. Um, I think for me, as someone who also listens to plenty of podcasts, my biggest, the thing that, I, I don't want to say frustrates, but but um, the thing I wish I had more of was content. I always wish I had more content. And it's not easy to discover new podcasts to listen to that that you you know you instantly fall for and fall in love with. And there are some podcasts that I already listen to that I've slowly become less important, and I, I don't really care as much to listen to them when they come out anymore. Uh, you know, some I just skip entire episodes, and you know that that's a shame. But uh, you know, if and and I, I get that. Uh, even as you know, even with my own podcast, I can totally understand, uh, you know, people who wouldn't care about the statistics episodes. Uh, I get that. I do. So I that's part of the reason why I want more content, though, is because then I can expand the things I talk about. You know, when Venom and A Star is Born come out, I don't have to do, you know, I kind of feel obligated and not that I'm upset by doing this, but I do feel kind of obligated to have an episode on each of them. Uh, in some capacity, review or statistics, just to address the fact that these huge movies came out and they're making a huge impact on the box office or the awards circuit or something something similar. And I try to have episodes where I talk about the smaller movies and I have monthly episodes with actors and top 10 lists and so forth. So there's a, there's a wide array of things already, but you know there's a lot of ideas that I have bouncing around my head that I would love to do as well. Uh, but I just I don't really have the space for it. You know, I don't know what you know, some of them are would be weekly occurrences, and that takes up a lot of space. Like that's a one out of every three episodes. And it just, you know, it, it would either require, you know, making the episodes I do longer and changing the format of them, or, you know, just doing more episodes a week. And Three a week is about what I'm capable of doing right now, uh, given the income and, and the meat and what I what I'm kind of responsible for outside of the podcast. Uh, so that's about it. But um, you know, still, I would love to do more. Uh, as I said, I have those ideas, but they're still percolating. You know, they're not fully fleshed out. They're not fully refined. But uh, strides strides are being made. Strides are being made. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's that's pretty much, you know, like I said, I, I'm in a very similar place uh, now as I was before. Uh, just a little, have a better understanding of things. Uh, you know, you can, I think, find the podcast on more programs and more applications and such. Uh, you know, you, you know, there are more ratings of the podcast on iTunes than there were two years ago, which is great. And I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it. I, I It's not 300 episodes. That's a lot of episodes, but I don't feel as though I'm, 
you know, I'm not even doing all of them, even, even doing the vast majority of them by myself. I don't feel boxed in by my own limitations in that kind of a way. I don't feel like I, uh, you know, I'm still able to put out hour long review episodes for things like eighth grade. And, and that's amazing. Uh, you know, that's not, uh, you know, having listened to other reviewers, uh, who have, who do episodes with like three or four people and they don't even make, you know, 40 minutes, you know, I think maybe I'm just babbling about the same thing over and over or, or, or not really contributing, um, meaningful critique maybe, but even still like to be able to have that much time to talk about a single movie is liberating in a way liberating is a good way to put it so that all that all said i don't know if you can hear that it looks like it's showing up on the audacity thingy i'm i'm probably going to try cut that out that sound oh wait it's going away it's going away there's like a hum maybe yeah, i might cut it out if if you can't hear it that's what happened but uh, i think it was an airplane going by overhead uh, yeah, so 300, like the movie, um, not like the movie, but 300. Anyway, so that being said, uh, today's episode, we are going to talk about five new movies, new movies that have come out this year, and, uh, let me just run down the list of those so you have an idea of what's in store. They will also be in the show notes, um, so um, if which you would know by now if you cared to know that. Uh, I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to list them alphabetically, but we're going to talk about them in order of uh, my grade for them, my score that I gave them. So alphabetically, uh, we have Colette. Uh, we have The Kindergarten Teacher, Monsters and Men, Private Life, and The Sisters Brothers. Five movies. Um, all coming out within the last month or two, uh, either on Netflix or in limited release, generally speaking. And I'm excited to excited to talk about them. There are, there, it's a generally good crop of movies. And I think uh, I, I would just say up front, if you haven't seen any of them or some of them, I would almost across the board recommend them for for viewing. I think they're all strong films with their own with merit respective of of themselves that is worth seeing and worth checking out so that is the slate for today and uh, let's jump in to the first movie the first movie on today's slate that i'm going to talk about is monsters and men monsters and men so Monsters and Men, uh, for anyone who didn't really hear about it, it wasn't a huge, wide, publicized release. It was more, it was a smaller movie. Um, it stars John David Washington, Anthony Ramos, uh, among others. And it follows three characters who are influenced by a police shooting uh, that results in the death of a black man. Uh, I saw it. Uh, a little over a week ago, and you know it, it's it's a very timely movie. Uh, it deals with a very obvious. Uh, there's very obvious parallels to this movie in real life, and it it doesn't. It's not. 
based on any specific incident as far as I'm aware. I think it is more representative of the uh, uh, the the black men and, and black people that have been killed by the cops uh, in the last couple of years as a whole. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't think there's any problems with that as a launching off point. And then within the presentation of the movie, we start out following Anthony Ramos's character. He is uh, just kind of just this kid. He's got you know he's got a family. He's trying to do right by them, and he happens to be there when the uh, police kill the man. Uh, not only there, but he uh, records the entire incident on his phone, and we follow him as he struggles with what to do. Uh, you know, the cops have asked him and told him not to release this footage. Uh, his family has asked him not to release this footage because, uh, you know, they are in a financial, a bad financial place. And they need the, you know, he needs a job. He needs, they, his wife needs a, his girlfriend, I think, needs a job. Uh, they, they just, the drama and, and, unfortuitous circumstances that it would create around them uh, add additional layers of complexity to his decision as to whether or not he should share his video with um, the rest of uh, the world in that sense. Uh, we then follow John David Washington's character. He is a cop, uh, a black cop, who wasn't there when it happened, uh, that when the shooting took place, but is uh, does know the officer that did shoot the black man. He he is kind of caught between these two two lives where he's black. He understands on that on a on a multiple levels how dangerous it is to be black and and to you know be to confront the cops or be even around the cops with that skin color. But he's also painfully aware of the dangers and responsibilities that he's uh, that are heaped on him as a police officer and you know he gets multiple conversations we see him have with other people about you know look you don't know what it's like to be a cop you don't know how difficult it is you know you you have to make snap judgments uh, based on the limited experience that you have and what training you've received and you know, you never know how quick, you know, it is, it's how fast, you know, something, the, the situation you're in can change and you're trying to do everything you in your power to prevent the, the dynamic of power in a situation from shifting from the police officer to uh, the suspect, culprit, criminal, whoever. And for the most part, this is, I think, my favorite of the three segments but I think it's one of the the most poorly executed. Uh, you know, I like John David Washington. I thought he was really good in Black Klansman. He's the lead in Black Klansman, Denzel's son. And I wasn't as excited by his performance in this movie. I think he, he kind of plays it far too close to the chest most of the time. And I don't know if that's his decision or, or how much of that was the director and script kind of not giving him the opportunity to expose himself as a character, but I, I really wanted this more from this segment. I wanted 
uh, you know, it's a very, it's a fascinating dilemma and and conflict and inner uh, conflict. And I wish we'd gotten more from it, and I wish we'd gotten to see more about it and and how it not only affects him but affects the fam- his family. You know, he has a wife, he has a kid. Uh, there's a moment where his kid has a police shirt on, like just a t-shirt, a gray t-shirt with a police logo on it, and he gets he freaks out and flips out and and you know doesn't want his son wearing that to school. And I think and he has but he has the cops that he's friends with. He has his partner. Uh, he had you know and and all these people he is approached by internal affairs uh, to look into you know whether or not this shooting was justified and you know he's asked those questions like do you know him do you know what he's like would he do this on purpose etc 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 and you know it's tough being put in that position and i wish we'd been given more insight into some of the thought processes thought processes behind such a such a situation the final segment is uh, a kid, you know, we see him in the first segment. He knows Anthony Ramos's character tangentially. We see him in toward at the very end of the second segment being pulled over by the police. Uh, and we then shift to his this kid's perspective. He is um, you know, he plays he plays the sports. He does the sports and he's going to get a free uh, you know, that's his ticket out right he his ticket out of poverty of living in the ghetto of of you know living below his means uh is sports which is fine but throughout his segment he becomes kind of uh entrenched in this entire fight uh to get justice for the police officer that killed this man and he connects with people from Anthony Ramos's life. He connects with, you know, he he in, intersects with some of the police officers, and it's a big, you know, it, there's tie-ins in that sense all, all over the place. But he is his dilemma, and the way he he kind of is at odds with himself is whether or not he has, you know, he has this surefire like pass to success in life if he follow you know if he just keeps his head down keeps you know putting in the time putting in the work playing the game and on the other hand you know this this is this police brutality issue is is no no laughing matter it's it's not something that happened once and that's it it is it is systemic it is something that has been going on for quite a while now and he recognizes how important it is that he be involved in that uh, and he you know he wants to make a change he wants to do something significant he wants to matter in that argument and and have be a part of that discussion and it takes him some time to really jump completely into it but he gets there and he has to you know fight with his own dad about whether or not it makes sense for him to do that or whether or not doing it is throwing his own life away and then kind of forsaking the sports that he does and I think he played baseball but I I keep saying sports because I'm not 100% sure it was either baseball or, or football 
I don't I don't remember. I remember there, there's a scene, there's a shot of him from behind with a jersey on as he's kneeling about to go onto the field. I think it was I think it was baseball. Either way, we follow him as he's struggling with that question uh, of how far can he take this political stance uh, in this time, in this day and age, without you know completely ruining the current trajectory his life is on? Because that's that's a big deal, you know. It's it's not every day that you know a kid who doesn't really come from much has an opportunity to rise well above that that station in life and uh, you know that's the the temptation and and i've never been or been posed that question before so you know i i have to imagine it's a very difficult circumstance you know to to fight for something you believe in if that means risking losing uh you know a future almost you know or at least a, a infinitely better future than the one that you otherwise would have so all of these stories together you know all of them dealing with inner conflicts they they form a relatively cohesive movie relatively uh but at the end of the day i i came away with the movie just uh, just underwhelmed you know, not disappointed, not, not, it's not bad, just, just underwhelmed. I think that this is a huge subject, and I think that tackling it from this perspective is pertinent and important, and seeing all these different viewpoints as to how it affects various people is, is very worthwhile. But, you know, it's not as if the stories are edited together. You know, the first chunk of the movie is just Anthony Ramos, and then it's just John David Washington. It's just this kid playing uh, baseball or whichever. And, you know, it sucks, because I want more from the Anthony Ramos story. I want to know what happens beyond the end of it and, and where that leads, and, you know, it just kind of gets pushed to the side. I, I think this story, this movie could have been better if they were all edited concurrently and, and interwoven between each other. And they're not. Yeah, and, and that's mildly frustrating. Mildly frustrating. But having said that, I, I think it does spark a conversation. It, it does create uh, a dialogue about this issue in a way that I don't know that is being made in a lot of other movies. You know, the black police officer character uh, during an event like this is is a fascinating subject and and one worth exploring. And again, I wish that it had been explored more in this movie. So I ended up giving this movie a fifty-eight. I think it's just above you know average. Uh, slightly above average overall, but it does have a lot of, of pitfalls that I think it, it didn't manage to avoid, uh, based either through this the the format or or something along those lines. So it's you know it's only about hundred it's it's less than two hours. It's not super long. I think it's worth seeing. I think if you're the more connected you are to that subject matter, I think the yeah, I, well, I don't know. Maybe the less connected you are, you know, the more it'll expand your your understanding of what it is to 
you know, experience that situation. Uh, but even if you are close to that subject matter, I think, you know, you might be blinded by one of these three perspectives, or, or maybe your perspective is a fourth different perspective, and this one will, will add a, another layer to give you more context. Um, I don't know. I, I, I there's there's meat to this movie. It just it's not a, a full course meal kind of thing. So that's Monsters and Men fifty eight. You know, we're not gonna go super deep into these movies. I, I don't want to give away like the entire plots and everything like that. But you know, just kind of a surface level on the on you know what what are they about? What what do I think? And is in somewhat vague terms. So uh, the next movie. Next movie I'm going to talk about is The Sisters Brothers. Sisters Brothers. So this is a movie uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Jake Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley and uh, oh the guy from Venom. Oh, what's his name? Riz Ahmed, uh, primarily. And the uh, premise here is that. Uh, Riley and Phoenix are assassins. They are the titular sisters brothers. And they are tasked with hunting and killing uh, Riz Ahmed's character, who has, we learned, uh, we, we ultimately learn, developed a method to make it easier to pan for gold and, and to find gold in, in out west in the rivers and they're supposed to figure out his formula for pulling this off and then kill him. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a, an, asso- an associate of theirs who is tracking Riz Ahmed at the start of the film and is kind of uh, leading Riz Ahmed into their crosshairs, as it were, chasing, uh, basically, they're waiting with a scope and he is chasing Riz Ahmed into that scope. That is what is supposed to happen. Uh, things do not go as planned. Uh, there are there are hijinks in 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 times, but this is also a very serious and bloody movie. Uh, this there, very few punches are pulled. Uh, it's it's very grim in a lot of the situations. Uh, you know, both Riley and Phoenix's characters are dark and bleak in their outlook on life. Uh, they kill a lot of people during this throughout this movie. Uh, they don't always get along very well, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of pain and uh, sacrifice takes it, t- takes them from point A to point B when they do finally uh, confront the Riz Ahmed character. And that said, uh, I, I like this movie, I do, I like this movie a, quite a bit actually. I think it does a great job of portraying the Old West in this sort of you know, you can just be asleep and suddenly you're dead kind of a situation. You know, everything was, this was this wild frontier where very few people could really protect themselves from the the elements. Uh, you know, whether that's poisonous creatures, whether that's weather, whether that's, uh, you know, fellow gunslingers, you know, whether, you know, you are you know, tricked by, you know, someone who seems to be 
incapable of doing anything or, or, you know, seems to be sickly or old or whatever to have, what have you. And then all of a sudden you have a gun against your head, you know, like all, not that those specific situations necessarily happen in the movie, but those are things that you have to be constantly aware of. And no one can possibly be, you know, on guard 100% of the time, 24 seven just isn't possible. Even with two people, you can't do it. Uh, so, this I, I love the fact that Sisters Brothers gives you that outlook onto this time. Uh, you know the what Phoenix and Riley on their trek after Riz Ahmed's character constantly encounter these seemingly you know out of nowhere barriers to their goal, uh, and it, it just it just constantly you know he there's a scene where Riley just wakes up. And discovers that um, his horse has been wounded, and I won't say more than that. Not that that's like really a big spoiler, but he wakes up, his horse is wounded, and now all the, now they got to worry about that. And there's no, you know, there's no precedent for him to worry that his horse is going to be wounded, except that he has to worry about that every single time he goes to sleep and has the horse tied up nearby, because there's always the th- the concerned that that could happen and i love that i think creating that atmosphere and and presenting the movie in that kind of a way is perfect i think that's a perfect way to to illustrate the dangers going on in such a movie beyond that uh the performances are are very good across the board jake gyllenhaal is doing kind of an accent that i didn't really buy into and I thought was kind of strange and didn't fit perfectly. I think he was supposed to be European. I don't remember. I remember having the conversation afterward that it felt like he can't, he wasn't, you know, an American. Uh, so I'm not sure what his, his deal was specifically, but it, it often, I, I spent way too much time watching the movie. Also wondering, you know, what was up with his accent. Uh, Riz Ahmed, far better in this than Venom. Uh, you know, feels a lot closer to what he was doing in Nightcrawler, uh, as far as uh, skill, as, than it uh, than it does you know in Venom. But he 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 didn't he felt very one note uh, much of the movie, which I was frustrated by. And I wish there would have been a little bit more of him in the movie. You know. Obviously, the nature of the the narrative, we're cutting back and forth between what what's going on in his side of the things and what's going on in uh, Riley and Phoenix's side of things, and we spend a lot more time with Riley and Phoenix, uh, which, having seen the, you know watching the movie, makes more sense. They're you know involved in more things. They have more agendas, more more setbacks along the way, but. I think when we do finally reach Ahmed's character and we really see uh, him in action and kind of in- interacting with more than just uh, Gyllenhaal, I, I, there's, there's, there's a great moment where he, he has a nice conversation with Riley. And I, I think that there just needed to be more of things like that. I, I think there needed to be a little bit more... I don't know, everybody felt, and and this makes sense, it's the Wild West, I kind of praise the movie for, you know, everyone's on edge, because anything could happen, you know, guns, you know, guns are waiting behind every single corner, every turn, 
And the w- once or twice that this movie takes the time to really slow down and make you feel like that's not going to happen, uh, I enjoyed. I, I thought you know there were gr- there was some great dialogue that took place between uh, Riley and Phoenix, you know, on their trip there when you know they're just kind of on their horses talking to each other uh, or, or making up camp for the night, and just adding to this relationship that these two guys have with each other. And by the end of the movie, the problem is that I didn't understand how we got to where we ended up um, for the characters that were alive at the end. Uh, So not that I think that they went in a direction that makes no sense. I just didn't. Like, it makes sense to me. I just don't understand the steps. Some of, like, I feel like we skipped over a couple of steps. The arc is there, but it's missing some of the points along it. And that's, you know, I think that that was kind of just. The movie's about an hour and 15, or an hour and 55 minutes. And that's already kind of long, you know, not. The longest, you know, a Star's Born, Venom, or no, a Star's Born and First Man, both over two hours. So, you know, you could have tacked on another ten minutes to Sisters Brothers and kind of expanded a little bit more. But I, I, I do think that the pacing of the movie works really well. You know, switching back and forth between these two storylines uh, that you know we know are on a collision course with each other uh, works, and you know, kept me entertained. I never felt. I, I did feel like we could have spent a little bit long, longer with Riz Ahmed's character, but for the most part, I think they did a good job of, of economizing who gets how much time uh, as far as what the narrative demands. Now, the demands of the narrative and the demands of the characters are very different, I think, in this movie, and that grates against each other a little bit because Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal, I don't think we get as much information about them as we should. You know, Gyllenhaal makes a very big decision early on in the movie, and we don't know his character well enough to to to, to decide whether a that that's the right decision for him, or b you know is he going against his nature by making this decision, or is this true to his nature to make this decision and going against something different, I, I don't know, because we don't know enough about him. So, I don't know, I have some issues with it, but all in all, I do really enjoy this movie. I think it's a good movie with some strong performances, most particularly from Riley and Phoenix. I gave it a 66, uh, so thumbs up. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. And it's a shame. So, <laughs> this movie is being released through Annapurna, which is you haven't heard the news is going through quite a bit of turmoil uh, right now as a company and reportedly the movie cost like 60 million dollars to make and it's made about one and a half million almost so far and it probably isn't you know it's barely gonna get to two at this rate and they're gonna they're gonna take a huge huge loss on this movie. Which is a shame, because I, I think there's a lot to like at the, in this movie. I think it's got a lot of a, appeal. I, you know, it's a Western. We don't have as many Westerns anymore as we used to. I think the novelty hasn't exactly worn off since it was kind of revitalized in the late 2000s. So 
it's a shame. I think it's a shame more people didn't get a chance to see this when it was in the theaters. Hopefully they can find it on Netflix or, or something or Amazon or something and, and get a look at it because it is a good movie and I think it does bear is worth watching well enough. So Sisters Brothers. I gave it a 66 and I like it. I do. I do. Um, the third movie. We're halfway halfway point. What or well midpoint, rather, not halfway point. The midpoint on the list is a Netflix movie uh, called The Kindergarten Teacher. Uh, so this one stars Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. And Maggie Gyllenhaal plays the titular kindergarten teacher. Uh, she is kind of a, a humdrum teacher who... I don't know if we were ever told exactly how long she's been teaching, but it's been a while and she's you know gone through the motions quite often and... Uh, she's become bored and uh, uninvolved and kind of complacent in, in life. And she has this, uh, she takes this, I think, poetry class, specifically poetry class, with Gael Garcia Bernal as the teacher. And, and you know, she kind of has that as an outlet and creative uh, extracurricular activity that she does. And one day... She is shown a poem written by one of her students, uh, and it is pretty good. Uh, you know, it's really, really good. And kindergarten students are like five years old. And the subtext here being that uh, the poem that this kid wrote is better than the things that she's written. And so, the next class she has, the next poetry class she has. She passes it off as her own and is met with a lot of praise, a lot of praise. So she becomes obsessed with this student. She wants to record and write down all of his poems and she realizes that he just kind of comes up with them uh, seemingly out of the blue. He'll just be playing and start reciting something off the top of his head and it's this sort of organically beautiful poem and you know and that's when things take a turn because you know I think on one level you have Hall's character uh, trying to further the education of the student trying to push them to be better and to expose their creativity uh, to the world as a at large and that's a, a noble goal and something that all teachers should aspire to to accomplish, you know, if you have a talented student, you should try to foster that that talent. But she takes it too far. <laughs> She's very obsessed uh, to the point of detriment, not only hers, but potentially the students as well. Uh, it, it plays, you know, it, it damages her home life with her family. It damages her work life with the rest of her students uh, and and ultimately leads to to very very bad things. Maggie Gyllenhaal is great in this role. She is very very good in, in this role. And the movie goes to some places, uh, you know, not super outlandish places, you know, obviously I I felt all the there were, there were one or two moments uh, in the middle of the movie where I was like, okay, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is exactly what 
you know, I don't know if anyone really, anyone with a, you know, because the one part of it is through the whole movie, it is without a doubt that, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal wants, does not want to harm the student. You know, she's not trying to like terrorize this student or, 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 you know, ruin their lives. She actually wants to help the kid. Okay. Like that is made very clear. And so with those intentions in mind, it does make some of her decisions a little questionable. Uh, and I don't know that the movie justifies them perfectly, uh, at least through what we're shown. Now, this is a remake of a foreign film that I don't, I forget what country it was originally made in, but it's, you know, it's it's the same same sort of plot, and uh, so I don't know how much, you know, obviously different country, different school system, and so on and so forth. I don't know if everything translates evenly and perfectly to make exact sense with how the United United States school system works, but you know, it just it's it's a harrowing experience to watch because. You look at it and you wonder, you know, you leave your kid with these teachers for, you know, eight hours a day, whatever it is, uh, you know, generally less when it, when they're in kindergarten, it's like four or five hours, but you're leaving your children in the hands of this other adult who uh, generally, you know, you don't see their credentials, you know, you just know that this school has hired them to be a teacher and, you know, if they've done that, then surely they passed some sort of test, some sort of system, went through some sort of process, and were determined to not be a psychopath or somebody who's going to, you know, kill, drug, rape, murder, uh, kidnap, whatever it is, your kid. And sometimes even the people who do go through that process and do come out the other side, uh, you know, squeaky clean, as it were, uh, something will snap and they won't listen to those better judgments in the back of their head telling them that what they're doing is a bad idea and that they should stop. And that's what happens to Hall's character in this. You know, she takes a very good idea uh, and it slowly morphs into something that is not good. Uh, until it really just completely consumes her. And there's a brilliant, brilliant scene uh, toward the end of the movie where Gyllenhaal is in the bathroom communicating with someone on the other side of the door that I, I loved that scene. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it did feel like uh, they, they were elevating the maturity level and age of the, the kid in the movie, but for the most part, I, I was on board. For the most part, I was on board. And and I think that scene in particular uh, showcases some of the best of Hall's talent. And you really feel in that moment, everything kind of comes crashing down on her. And she realizes what's taken place and what has happened and what she's doing. And it's not good. So, I liked it. I liked it, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, the Kindergarten Teacher, it is on Netflix, so you can check it out, because I assume everyone has access to Netflix either through themselves or through their family or friends or whatever. It's it's a good one, and certainly one uh, certainly feels like a movie that came from another country, because uh, not that we don't have 
stories that take, happen like this uh, in the United States. But anytime you have a these sort of self-destructive characters that you're supposed to at various points in the, along the movie like kind of get behind, it does feel like it came from a different country. And I, I think I touched on this when I talked with Adam about Korean films. Uh, because a lot of the characters in Korean films are very similar in that sense. So that drew me further into this movie as it went along. That said, uh, I gave The Kindergarten Teacher a 67. So that's just one point ahead of The Sister Brothers. And I, you know, I've heaped a decent amount of praise on this movie. And it's only a 67. But it's it's a good 67. Like... the. The notion that that's not a good score is is only in like the school system, in my opinion. Uh, so I like the movie. I think it's good. I think it's worth checking out and uh, to probably show you something you haven't seen at least this year, I would assume. Uh, so The Kindergarten Teacher, 67. The second best film of the list in this of this episode is another Netflix movie, and that is Private Life. Private Life, a uh, Netflix movie, is starring um, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti, among others, uh, as an older couple, you know, in their 40s, 50, in that range, and trying to have a kid. Trying to... Catherine Hahn trying to get pregnant, uh, trying to have a kid of their own, uh, and uh, just not succeeding. And it's that straightforward. That is literally the movie. They want to have a kid, and they can't. And it's very difficult. And they try the conventional way by having sex, and they try unconventional ways like adoption and um, artificial insemination and so on and so forth, and... Every step along the way, it, it pretty much just doesn't work. And throughout the process, you have this great interplay and uh, con- conflict between the two, uh, between the couple, uh, not only with themselves, but with others, but mostly about, you know, how important is it that the kid that they raise come from his semen and sperm and or her uh eggs right how important is that and you know is one of those things more important than the other is it how irrelevant is it for Catherine Hahn that she carry the child for nine months or, or the rather fetus for nine months in her in her womb uh it, it's you know the, the these are questions that you know you when you go into having a kid you should generally have an answer for uh, and and be well aware of what your partner's answer is too. And yet, as the movie progresses, we find out that they're not always on the same page. And, uh, you know, it, it creates conflict. It creates drama. And it, it puts these characters, you know, who are trying to do this thing together that most would consider to be one of the most, you know, life affirming actions that a human being can do uh you know you you and and furthermore uh and rather what i probably meant more is it's a 
binding action to this other person that you're doing it with, right? And, you know, for two people who want to have a kid to have such tension created between them, to have such a rift placed in the midst of this supposed to be, uh, you know, beautiful moment in their lives, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, a lot to, a lot to take take down and, and worry about and consider and, and fathom. And in the meantime, they have these extra peripheral characters, uh, you know, in-laws, family, friends who are pulling for them. But when that means that they've got to get involved, they're out kind of a thing. You know, it's like, hey, I want you to do this thing, but if you need my help, no way. Almost. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating sort of dysfunctional family type of drama, you know, and in that sense, it does hit a lot of notes that you've probably seen in some of these similar types of movies. But you get great performances out of Katherine Hahn and, and Paul, Paul Giamatti. Uh, you've got Molly Shannon, uh, great in this movie as well. Uh, you know, just a, a very strong cast, top to bottom. And what ends up happening is, you know, whether or not you saw, you know, it's not like you really have a character you side with uh, between the couple, uh, between Han and, and Giamatti as the couple. But, y you know, if you're on board with their endeavor and if you're pulling for them to succeed, you know, it's a very strenuous movie because you're not sure that they do. You know, every step along the way, when there's a little bit of hope, there's a little bit of despair. And if there's a lot of hope, then there's a lot of despair. And sometimes they're offered an option that, you know, seems, hey, that'll work. They can pull that off. That's going to solve their problem. And then either that thing falls through or one of them decides they, they don't really want to do it that way. Or... You know, they go through with it and then it fails and, and it just, there's so many, and, and you know, it, it feels like you just have these two characters who are constantly being dumped on throughout the whole movie. Uh, and maybe that's not enjoyable to watch, but I think underneath that surface, you have a couple and a pair and a partnership between these two two characters that blossoms and grows stronger because of it. You see them take wave after wave after wave beating against their relationship and yet every single time when the you know when when the wave subsides they're still standing and they're still wading deeper and deeper into this ocean, uh, trying to get a baby, trying to, to have a kid, trying to raise a human being. And that's, you know, that's, that's a noble thing. And I, I applaud that. I, I think that's honorable. And it's, it's great that they're able to go to such lengths. Uh, and it really shows that they want this, that they need this, that, that, that this is what matters in their lives at this point. And it's a shame that, you know, they, it can't just happen. It can't just be, let's have sex, and nine months later we have a kid. 
you know, everyone who wants to have kids, you know, they wish that was it was that easy. And uh, for them, it just isn't. Which is a shame. Uh, private life. I really, I really like private life. Uh, I, I think some of its shortcomings are, as I mentioned, you know, it is very similar to a lot of dysfunctional family movies. So it has a lot in common with with um, something like um, August Osage County, which is a little more bottle movie than than this is, but uh, you know, still deals with. This is a family. They are dysfunctional. Go. And there are definitely scenes kind of pulled straight out of that playbook in private life. Uh, not that they aren't good scenes, not they aren't well written or, or well portrayed or well performed, but just they are scenes that, that feel replicated and, and lifted from a different movie and put in this movie with just a little bit of we're an old couple trying to get pregnant, twist. Uh, so, good movie, very good movie. And as I mentioned, better movie, in my opinion, than the ones I've talked about already in today's episode. Uh, it's on Netflix, you can go check it out, it's very easy to access. And uh, I give it a 68. So, one point ahead of The Kindergarten Teacher, two points ahead of The Sisters Brothers, these three movies together, you know, are, are just all very good. Um, none of them elevated itself above um, that sort of like really gr- re- like near great sort of really good um, game changing at all sort of a uh, sort of a level, uh, you know. And the distinction between the <clears throat> a movie rated in the sixties and seventies is not as clear cut as I, I you know as it might need to be but uh, none of these movies felt like they reached over that that divide for me um, but I do like private life quite a bit and I gave it a 68 which leaves us with my favorite movie uh, of the list of this this list of five uh, not not only that, but a movie that jumps way up from from where I have uh, Private Life rated. And that's Colette. Colette is in theaters now. It is in limited release. It's in a couple hundred theaters. Uh, I saw it a week ago, as of the recording of this. And it stars Keira Knightley and um, Dominic West, among others. And the general plot, and it's based on a true story... But the general plot is that uh, Dominic West is um, Willie, and he is a name, all right? So he is a big name that uh, people recognize, like, uh, say, Steve Jobs, for, for, for lack of a better comparison. And to, keep the, to, to kind of push this analogy further, imagine... Steve Jobs' wife um, was the one creating the iPhone. And then Steve Jobs puts out the iPhone and his name's attached to it. And he sells millions of them. Everyone has an iPhone. Or if you don't have an iPhone, you at least know what an iPhone is and you know the lexicon of an iPhone and you can 
communicate with someone who has one and you know you you are in the know at the very least and then the people want more they want better so we have an iphone 2 3 4 5 6 and her name is not anywhere on these iphones that is colette kira knightley is the wife of bill of willie dominic west and when he is in dire straits and uh, out of money and his writers are not writing, he asks her to take a stab at it. You know, hey, try to write something, uh, basically, is how it goes, and she does. And his initial reaction is a little patronizing, but I, I appreciate the fact that they show him, you know, giving her, you know, blunt feedback uh, that isn't just, you're a woman, but more so... You know, things along the lines of sex sells. You're not writing anything sexy. You're not writing things that are going to draw attention, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so she goes back to the well and she she redoes things. And, and suddenly they have a hit on their hands. Suddenly she's written something that everyone is reading. She is writing this, you know, huge, huge hugely popular story that everyone wants more from they have money now but her name's not on it just willie and at first that's okay because the point's not to be famous the point's to have the money the point's to stay in business the point is everyone's reading it and so she writes another one and another one and another one and another one and she's pulling from stories that are about her in a lot of this, a lot of cases. Uh, and it's not as though she's not reaping benefits from the success of her book. You know, she certainly is. She's, you know, her life, uh, her standard of living has gone up as well as as much as his has. You know, he married her not because she could write, not because she came from money. Uh, you know, it was the opposite. The, didn't even know she could write. She definitely did not come from money. And now they're both living in the lap of luxury because this character she has created, uh, Claudette, is just a, a gold mine. And things start to become tense, and the movie kicks into another gear entirely when she stops being complacent when she stops just agreeing passively with what he wants and what he says and it's it's fascinating because you know we've had this isn't the only movie like this this year even you know we had the wife which is kind of the aftermath of what happens in this story to a degree and I, I like the wife. I talked about the wife before. But what I think really sets Colette apart is how in the moment the movie is. And we get to see firsthand and in full detail the process of how we went from this is a married couple to she is now writing things that he is putting his name on. We get to see why that is. They discuss it openly. And then we get to see the progression to the point where she says, no, 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 that's not okay anymore. Put my name on it. And he says, no, 
And all of that on itself is a very, very good movie. But I think this is a great movie. And the reason for that is because there's more to the story. So independent of, well, tangentially related to her uh, fame as a writer and her fame as Willie's wife uh, is uh, Keira Knightley has a lot of other things that happen to her in the movie. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, extramarital events that take place uh, in the movie, both on both sides, uh, on both sides, uh, that to the point where, you know, we don't define Keira Knightley's character as a writer strictly. You know, she is more than that. She has other desires, other needs, other wants, other goals. We see her as a fully fleshed out person, not just a, a, a forlorn wife who didn't get her due, which by by all means is she is that for sure. But she's so much more than that. And and defining her so singularly in that way would be uh, insulting. Uh, you know, it's you know you're not defined by your job you're not defined by uh you know your style of living or, or your uh your house or, or any one thing you know you are all of these things all, all of them in, in one big melting pot one big gumbo and i love at first i was a little little off i was a little reserved about the idea of stretching this movie a little thinner than i thought it might need to be um, but I think by the by the end of it, the culmination of of these separate threads throughout the film do lead you to this complete, or maybe not complete, but much much more complete than it would be otherwise understanding of the character of Colette, of Keira Knightley's character, and I think she similarly is absolutely brilliant in the role. Uh, the the there's a big confrontation scene towards the end of the movie that she just kills. She is perfect in it. Uh, she has the wit, the repartee uh, to to go toe to toe with Willie, who we see in the movie uh, as uh, you know as as obvious as it is that Colette is the one you know writing all these things and whose name should be on them. He is no you know he's not just a sitting there watching. You know, he's involved in the editing process and, and then, you know, he gives her plenty of notes that she we see she obviously takes under advisement. You know, he, he's no... You know, he, it's not that he can't write. It's not that he's incapable of it and, and couldn't do it if, if he were the one being asked to write. But he's he's not the one that latched onto this, this craze. He didn't create this character. He didn't live this life that she led. You know, he is he is witty and talented in his own right. He is he is, but he's not her. I really really enjoyed Colette. I, I think it's a great movie. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. Uh, I gave it an eighty-two, which puts it the moment firmly in my top 10 of the year um there's a few <laughs> few few movies would have to drop off before it would fall off the list uh but it, it 
and I, I don't expect it to stay there till the end of the year. Um, but it's 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 got it's gonna be there for a while at least. I really really like Colette, uh, and so looking at the, all these films as a whole, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Colette is the only one that made an impression on Circle of Film Awards. Looking through here. Yes. So Colette, I have Keira Knightley, lead. I have Dominic West as supporting, and then I also have tactile effects. The costumes uh, are beautiful. The makeup, the production design, all those are fantastic in this movie uh, and, and worth the price of admission, in my opinion. Uh, just getting to see, you know, period pieces always do this very, very well. And Colette is no different. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan, big fan of the movie, and and really think more people should see it because uh, it is really good. And Keira Knightley is great in it. It's one of her best performances, uh, certainly uh, her most notable performance uh, in quite some time. Uh, and um, yeah, I hope more people get a chance to check it out. So uh, that is Colette. Uh, that is today's episode. Um, yeah. And that's that's the end. Episode 300. And here's to 300 more. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to do the outro myself uh, this episode just because it is kind of a milestone. Thank you so much, uh, anyone who has ever listened to any of the episodes I've ever put out. It really does mean a lot. And it matters to me that anyone's listening at all. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with me about absolutely anything, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Circle of Film or through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show and what I do, uh, you can help uh, get me closer to putting out more episodes every week by going to patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Uh, there are multiple available tiers for you to uh, subscribe at for as little as one dollar a month and if you would like to check out more from the uh, podcast or you would like to check out some of the um, top 10 lists that i've had or some statistics that i keep track of look at uh, information on the spreadsheet that i use for all my movies uh, or look at you know current circle of film award nominees and past uh, winners you can head over to circleoffilm.com for all of that and more. Once again, thank you for listening to today's episode. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fails.